peak performance time, okay? That, however, always comes at a cost. You have to renew that energy somehow. If you don't renew it, the, your next response is to go to high negative, anger, rage, wanting to quit, doing all that kind of stuff, okay? And that always comes at a cost too. If you don't renew your energy successfully at that point, you go into low negative, which is boredom, burnout, depression, those types of feelings. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Listening is hard. It requires putting the internal dialogue on pause long enough to consider another point of view, of which you might have opinions about, perhaps visceral gut-wrenching opinions. Listening is not easy because it requires empathy for those with whom we don't agree or perhaps even stand in stark opposition to. It's hard to have a calm, steady heart when our core beliefs are challenged. Empathy is erroneously considered to be a kind of connection with others where we can consider their feelings and thoughts as our own. But that's looking through the wrong end of the binoculars. Empathy is about understanding another from their point of view, not ours. It requires of us a kind of ego strength and flexibility so that we can listen to another and understand their emotional frameworks without agreeing and at the same time remain buoyed by a solid sense of ourselves. Empathy, the kind that allows for understanding into worldviews foreign or even full of repulsion to us, requires that we can, from a place of connection and without merging, see what they see that we don't see, to feel what they feel that we don't feel, and to grasp what they believe that we ourselves don't believe, and to understand what they want that we don't want. We all have edges and barriers to what is not us. It's built into our basic biology. And on the psycho-social emotive level, it gives us membership into a group or a tribe. As social beings, this is not to be underestimated. Listening is hard as it requires that we're able to be a bit undone by another, that we make space within our mental frameworks that allow us to discern what is of value, what is a threat, what might be medicine and what's poison. We have to be able to unravel just enough to let another's thoughts and perspectives in far enough to have a sense of contact and exchange. And therein lies a potential danger. True exchange can set off a cascade of change. We might not be the same after seeing an enemy from their own point of view. Rigid stances of us and them are threatened when there is a greater sense of we. Listening asks us to be empty enough to see that most of the stories we carry are borrowed in the first place. They come from family, media, friends, and others who have had an impact on our lives. Considering other perspectives means we might appear disloyal to those with whom we're closely connected. Listening can feel dangerous because we willingly look where previously we have willfully avoided. We expose ourselves to changing in ways that might not have us recognizing ourselves. Worse yet, the social groups with whom we are most connected could begin to fray and come apart. One of the difficulties with listening is that it's hard. It asks us to sense without interpreting to pause with a sense of encounter free of the gravity of assumptions, stances, and beliefs. 
Listening invites us into a greater unity that encompasses the complementary opposites. It's easy to fail at listening and empathy, but worth daily practice nonetheless. Like anything else, practice makes progress. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded just prior to the pandemic casting its shadow on our world and dramatically changing our businesses. For a few months, I thought a conversation on running a business might somehow be inappropriate, but I was wrong. I recently re-listened to this conversation, and it is germane to this moment, because regardless of the challenges we face, there is always an opportunity in adversity, and providing help and solutions for others not only makes the world a better place, it is also a way that we can support ourselves and our families. It's always a good time to talk about business, and so I hope you enjoy this conversation with David Castor. He's not an acupuncturist, but he loves and appreciates the process of business as much as you love exploring the methods of medicine. Get ready for a look at how our businesses will run us unless we run them, and how our businesses can be an expression of deep creativity and an opportunity to learn a lot about ourselves. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine, and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi 
and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride, knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Let's get into this conversation with Dave Castor. David Castor, welcome to Geological. Thank you, Michael. I'm glad to be here. I'm delighted to talk with you. I've got this really sweet spot for some reason about business. I suspect because I have found over time that by having a business and by running my own business, I can create my own platform to do whatever it is I want to do. That's just given me a tremendous amount of freedom, of which I'm deeply grateful. You're not an acupuncturist. You're actually a business consultant. I'd love to know a bit about what brought you to that path. Well, I started out getting out of school with not only a business degree, but a marketing degree and a computer science degree. And I went right into managing a restaurant, which wasn't my dream. And it takes a very special type of person to be good at that. And so I ended up in financial planning. And over the course of 20 years of running my own financial planning business, not only did I hire and train and retain probably about 30 people and trained them to run their own business, but I found that most of my clients, my personal clients, were business owners. And they all had the same problems. So eventually, I, uh, with some life changes, I sold that business and became a business consultant and started working on the same problems over and over again for people. That's great. One of the things that seems to be the buzz among new practitioners, at least me as a 20-year practitioner, when I'm, when I'm like listening to younger practitioners, is this whole thing about, well, I'm a healer, I'm not a business person. And... Isn't it awful that so many people after five years are not practicing acupuncture? It's, it's a big thing that gets talked about in the acupuncture community. And I don't know if it's really true that we have more attrition than other professions. And I've met plenty of people who are ex-lawyers, right? They went through this school, they got the bar, they worked for a few years and went, screw it, I'm going to go open a restaurant. Right, that kind of thing. So from your position, you work with a lot of business people. You work with lots of different professions. What would you say the attrition rate is in general 
in the first five years for any business? For a small business, 70 to 90% of them are going to be gone after five years. 70 to 90? Yes. So if 50% of acupuncturists are still practicing after five years, then we're rocking it. You're, you're doing a good job. You're ahead of the industry curve. 70 to 90%. That's mind-boggling. It is in a way, but even if you look at within certain industries, the insurance industry, for example, there's 90% turnover in that industry, a five-year retention rate of only 10%. If you look in um, healthcare services, the primary caregivers that go out to people's homes and help them uh, do their daily work, they're up around 87%. Even if you look at the millennials, the millennials are going to have five, six, seven, twelve different jobs by the time they retire. That's a huge attrition rate. So I, I don't know if it's so much a particular business as it is just the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And the way the culture is right now. When I was a kid and to the baby boomer generation, you know, there was still that idea that, oh, you're going to find a stable company, you're going to go to work you'll be taken care of. And that evaporated. Yes, and they had retirement plans. I mean, they had a whole life plan for you. You didn't have to go back to school. You didn't have to learn anything new. You could stand by a machine and do whatever for your entire life, and that's no longer true. Thank goodness for that. You know, I mean, I think there's a tremendous upside to the vast amount of potential that's available these days. I absolutely agree with that. I also would say that it shifts the responsibility to us as an individual to adapt and learn and train on new things. Absolutely. For those people who are starting out and, you know, maybe even the word business is, you know, kind of a, a bad word to them, right? I mean, there's all kinds of images that get conjured up when you think about a, you know, a business person. Where do you think those negative stereotypes come from? Somehow in our culture in the past 40 years has started to demonize making a profit. Even back further than that, I think if you look at large companies, you know, there's one person getting rich off the sweat of the little guy. And somehow those, those stereotypes have transferred into anyone that says they're a business owner that they're not going to be successful long-term if you don't make a profit. What they have to do nowadays is they have to figure out how to make a profit and still be seen as helping people, and still be seen as encouraging growth and doing things for the greater good. I think the stereotype actually comes from school. If, if you're in college nowadays, I think a lot of your studies are either, number one, businesses that failed, and why did they fail? Number two, businesses that were successful, and the reason they were successful is by cutting out their competition. <laughs> or the Amazon like that. effect, right? Yes. Yeah. There's that stereotype. You know, I've been a small business person for a long time, even before I went to acupuncture school. You know, it's funny how through so much of my life, I have been a business person, and yet I've had this like bad idea of what it meant to be a business person, even though I was one. There's some cognitive dissidence for you. You know, I hear things in the media about, well, you know, small business is the backbone of America. And I think yada, yada, yada. Oh, wait a minute. 
They're talking about me. And then at a certain point, I began to wake up and look around me at all these other small business people and go, wait a minute, we are in this together. And it gave me a whole different perspective on the person running the kitchen shop, you know, the little mom and pop kitchen shop down the street or the person who's running this taco stand or the people running the plant store. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I bet you're dealing with the same problems that I'm dealing with. Very much so. I've probably written, just written more than a thousand business plans. I've uh, been able to, through the years, sit down with several dozen, maybe a few hundred businesses and business owners and get what makes them tick. And you know what? They're all dealing, at some level in their growth cycle, they're all dealing with the same problems. So we're not alone as acupuncture. It's growing. I don't know if it's okay for me to make this much money. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> what goes into a good business plan? And is it possible to write some kind of self-development process into a business plan so we can learn to get out of our own way? Well, I think you have to, Michael. Um, I'll give you, I guess, kind of a long-winded response. The most, the absolute most critical thing in a business plan is to have a very, very clear vision of what you want to accomplish, okay? Crossing over to your side of the aisle, I'm going to say that's the yang portion of your business plan, okay? That feeds you the energy, that gives you the reason to get up in the morning. It, it's the thing that gives you chills, it's the thing that gives you your elevator pitch, it's the thing that gives you your ideas of what to talk about to people when you talk about your business. Yes, and you absolutely have to have a clear vision. And I, I can't tell you how many people are afraid to actually sit down and put the work in to identify that vision. It's not a hard process, but it is a very, very vulnerable process because you have to answer some tough questions. Why are, why are you here? Um, and I will tell you this, if, if you characterize your service, your practice as a product, there is no product that's ever going to be successful being sold if you don't know why, if you don't have the why. Okay. I think there's a book that was, didn't Simon Sinek write a book about the power of why? Yes. Yeah. Yes, very much so. And he's a great guy. If you've ever heard him speak, he's fantastic. The second part of a business plan I think that you absolutely have to have is what I call the mission statement. Vision is the place where we want to get to. The mission is how we're going to get there. Okay. So again, crossing over, I was thinking about this, and I don't know if I'm accurate or not, but crossing over to your side of the aisle, this is the yin portion, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay? This is how you transform that energy from the vision and make it into an actual business. We take the energetic piece of it and now we materialize it. Right, so, so an, your average acupuncturist who doesn't want to be a businessman is ignoring half the problem. Okay, is ignoring half the solution. Too. I was going to say ignoring half of the resources. Yes, exactly. You and I have talked before. I, I do see an acupuncturist regularly, and it was kind of funny. She's coming up to the end of her first year, and I asked her the other day, I said, how many needles do you use in a day? <laughs> <laughs> 
and obviously she had no idea, you know, because she buys them in such bulk. And I said, well, it'd be an interesting scenario. And then she started laughing and she said, you know, a patient did ask me if I charged by the needle the other day. And in essence, you do. <laughs> at some point, at some level, you're getting paid for everything you do. And so you have to figure out how you're paid, why you're paid, and what's best for you in terms of what you are doing to create your vision. So we really need some self-care. And, you know, I, I've heard this great phrase about if your compassion does not include yourself, it's incomplete compassion. And, and I would say that our ability to extend healing and comfort and service to other people, if we're not included in that, we're probably leaving out something and, you know, an aspect that's super important. Yes. I, I will tell you that, you know, I've, I've done hundreds of personal service business calls and, and talked to so many people through the years. One of my favorite little stories is, is a bunch of chiropractors that I helped get their businesses started in one form or another. One guy was an old school professional. It was all numbers to him and it was like a production line. And he was highly successful because that worked for his personality. Another guy was a, a good friend of mine and I went in and after my first visit with him, I would never go back and I told him that. Okay, because somehow it wasn't fitting his personality. Somehow his practice wasn't mirroring how he wanted to do business. So if your practice isn't in alignment with who you are, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's got to be. It's got to be tied into your personality. To me, that's reassuring to hear, and it's terrifying, because because on one hand. You know, again, I'm just looking at my own experience. I ha I've got these ideas about what it means to be in business or to be a business person or how you're supposed to run a, air quotes here, medical practice. But if that's not who I am, if I'm not a white coat stethoscope kind of guy, me wearing that in my practice will not work. Exactly. You can't fake it for that long of time, for 10 to 12 hours a day, for 50 weeks a year. You cannot do it and be successful faking it. You have to dig into your own passion. Now, that's not to say that you can't practice and find out what your passion is and develop it over a course of time. Yes, I don't okay. think we, there's no way for us to know that at the beginning of the journey. No, not at all. And that's why, and again, I'll refer to the young acupuncturist that I work with. Um, again, we were laughing the other night when I said, keep in mind, this is a practice. You practice it to get better. You don't practice it to fail. You know? but, there, but there's also a lot of failure along the way. I mean, there's tremendous amounts of failure. You're not going to be successful if you don't fail. And the successful people, one of the quotes that stayed with me when I was early on in, in my financial planning practice was um, a gentleman who's far more successful than, than we could even imagine at that point said, you know, the successful people do the things the unsuccessful people refuse to do. Ooh. Can you give me an example of what some of those things are? Well, what makes you uncomfortable? <laughs> You know, if you're in your practice, does it make you uncomfortable to sit down and look at the numbers? Would you rather be looking at a patient? Obviously you would. But 
does it make you uncomfortable to figure out how to get a tax break this year? Does it make you uncomfortable to figure out how to reach out to a segment of, of potential clients that you don't have any impact on at this point? You know, does it make you uncomfortable to move your practice? Yeah. I, I have a friend who learned from a teacher of his who used to push him really hard. And she'd look at him at times and say, are you uncomfortable? He'd go, oh yeah, Dr. Ooh, I'm very uncomfortable. She'd go, good, get ready to learn. <laughs> exactly. The reason it's so cool for me to be talking to you about this is because I know you get it. I know you understand that intermix of energies and there's, there's only, it's only in the opposition that you find meaning. Oh man. I heard a quote recently as well that, that where there's the deep difficulty, that's where the deep meaning comes from. And that's also where the joy in life comes from. Oh, exactly. A little bit of a, a personal thing. I was, after I got divorced and such, I had, for many reasons, mostly because uh, my ex didn't want to follow the court orders, I wasn't able to see my son for uh, several years. And that just about killed me, okay? So finally, when I got to see him, my ex was standing in the background and, and we were just hugging each other like crazy. He did, said, Dad, I love you so much. How do you, where do we go from here? And I said, we go forward because we know that we can't change the past. And I said, we can learn from all the, all the discomfort and all the pain, you know. You know, it's easy to talk about it in some ways when we're on the other side of it. When we're in the middle of it and it's affecting our bottom line or it's affecting our, our own sense of self-worth, especially that, then it's really difficult. Have you, what are some resources that you have found that helped you through something like that or resources that you've seen help like the people that you're working with to get through those moments, not of the, not so much of the business difficulties, but of our own limitations or situation confronting us and asking us to become a bigger person? Well, that's, that's the key question, Michael, is it's not a business problem. It's never <laughs> a business problem. Okay. It's a you problem. You know, and there's been so many times through the years where I've, I've just wanted to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to put a shingle up on the door or say, if you're a business owner and want to talk, just come in and sit down and I'll charge you by the hour and we'll just talk. You know, great leaders on average have at least three blind spots. And by nature, you're not going to see your own blind spots. Okay. Great leaders have on average three blind spots. Any sense of why this is? Is it because they're so phenomenally focused and, and they, there's things they see super well, but there's places where they get blindsided? Yes. And you know what? I also think there's places that all of us as individuals are walking by opportunities every single day. And the reason we're walking by them is because it makes us uncomfortable. And the more uncomfortable that it makes us, the faster we walk. <laughs> But in terms of a business owner, it doesn't matter what kind of business owner you are. I mentioned this to you in our phone call, that if we refuse to run our business, our business is going to run us. 
you'll get the sense of when that starts to happen, when you feel like every single day you're in a whirlwind and you're trying to keep up. Okay. But you step into the whirlwind and you say, this is what I have to do. I have to see 11 patients today and three of them are brand new patients. So I have to spend that extra time, go over the records, um, gather all the documents and do all that kind of stuff and do my research on how I'm going to treat them or give them some answers right away or whatever it is, whatever you're doing. When you start to feel that sense of I'm behind the eight ball and I'm running to keep up, your business is running you. Okay, I can guarantee you. And then you're caught in the whirlwind and you don't have time to step back and make decisions. And that's probably the time you most need to step back. Absolutely. That's the time you most need um, another acupuncturist or another practitioner or a friend or something that's been through something like this that can give you some perspective. What are some of the helpful questions to ask yourself or have a conversation about when you realize that you're in the middle of the whirlwind, you need to step back. Is there a good place to start? How do you, how do you begin to unravel that hairball? I have a real simple little checklist that I share with my clients that takes less than five minutes to go through. And basically it's a checklist about, am I happy with this? <laughs> am I happy with that? Am I happy with this? Does this make me uncomfortable? Can I improve something? You know, and it, it goes through personal time, personal life, um, health, wealth, taxes, you know, that whole thing. It goes through all of that. Um, that's not to promote that at all, but those are the types of questions you ask yourself. And basically, again, is, am I happy? Now, going back to my original statement, if you have a strong vision, that's the biggest question to ask yourself. Because if you lose sight of that vision, you know you're in the world and right away you can do some self-diagnosis. And if, if you go more than, I would say, honestly, three, four hours in your business without being able to think of your vision or see that vision clearly and feel that vision, then you're in the whirlwind and you need to step back, okay? Because the vision is going to tell you on every single minute decision, will this bring me closer to my vision or will it take me further away? And that gives you the clarity you need. Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. I have, 
for a long time worried about how am I going to get to a place I want to get to without having that clear sense of where it is I wanted to get to. I, I have a lot of experience with this. And that's called faith. Um, some of it's called, you know, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Some of that is faith, and some of that's really good to have. I'm willing to jump off the cliff and trust I can make me some wings on the way down. There is a place for that. There absolutely is a place for that. It's a good place to start. It's not going to get you all the way through. But one of the things that I found for myself is that I would often worry about, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? What I've discovered over time is if I'm pretty clear about where I want to go, the hows will show themselves as I go. Now, they'll usually show up as problems, consternations, difficulties, things I don't know how to do. There's two ways of looking at that. One is, oh, here's a big problem. Well, I guess I can't do that. Or if you're very clear on the what, it's like, well, huh, that's a big problem. I wonder how I can figure that out. And it, it becomes a whole different process of inquiry. And, and really kind of, it, it becomes interesting. It's like, wow, I've got no idea, but I can get this figured out. Yes. You're so right on that, Michael. The, I don't think we ever ask a question that on some level we don't already know the answer to. Mm, okay. That's damn uncomfortable. Yes, it really is. I mean, to, to really but, be able to get honest enough with ourselves in that moment to go, oh, this is the answer. I'm not sure I like this answer. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And, but again, that, that's just life. I mean, think about every uncomfortable situation you had in, in your entire life. And that's, that's how it is. You know, I think you hit the nut on, on the head with your theming of, of your practice, because it's, it really is all energy. It's all how it flows through your body and how you confront it. Yeah. So I, I want to circle back to the what for a moment and the clarity piece. I feel like that's actually something that I, I still work on. It seems like it's an ever evolving process. Here's one of the things I've, I've discovered about clarity. Maybe you can help me with this. If I get really clear with something, now I'm really on the hook to make it happen. And the possibility of failure becomes much larger much larger. Because if I'm unclear, well, I can't really fail because, well, I didn't have any specific goal. But getting those specific goals, that really ups the ante. Yes. I agree with that. I, I agree that it uh, becomes a lot harder when you take the responsibility for not controlling, but maybe making decisions that are going to determine your destiny. Okay, but I will say that as long as you know that you are developing your practice, staying true to your vision, and developing your art, again, my acupuncturist and I talk a lot about developing this to an art form, as long as you know you're doing that and being true to your vision, it's okay to fail because you're going to end up better off than you would have been, you know, without trying. 
I think this is a tough thing for acupuncturists, maybe for other professionals as well, but I know for acupuncturists this is tough because there's this whole, I don't know if it's a competition thing, if it's human nature, but there's this sense of, well, you know, I know my stuff, but like those idiots over there, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. Acupuncturists can be so critical of other acupuncturists. I think it makes that, that failure part very, it's very difficult to stand in front of our peers and go, yep, I don't know, or yep, I screwed that up. Do other people run into this? Well, do you see Burger King and Wendy's fighting all the time? Well, I think that's about market share, isn't it? If, if you're in-house, inside those businesses, yes, you're always in competition or you always feel like you're in competition. And, and I think you have to have the confidence to feel that nobody else does it like you do, okay? But you also have to have the vulnerability maybe or the humility to say that, hey, there's something I can learn from those people. Yes, short answer to your question, other businesses do this all the time. Okay, so it's kind of human nature. You also just pointed something out. Look at what your, I'm using air quotes here, competition is doing. See if you can learn something. Exactly. That's how we all learn anyway, through adversity, through, I mean, when you were in school, I don't know, I don't know if you'd have been as good as you are without the instructor challenging you, without you wanting to be at the top of your class or up a few levels and without you having that very real fear of, oh my gosh, what if I fail? <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the other thing too. I, when I was a kid, I used to race sailboats competitively and I found it was a lot more fun to compete against people that were better than me because it would up my game really quickly. This competition thing is not something to be feared. It's maybe something to be engaged. It absolutely, I would embrace it with open arms. I would try to learn something because it's not only competition then at that point, it becomes camaraderie. It becomes a circle of people that you can listen to and not only learn from, but share similar experiences. I can't tell you how frustrating it is for me. I mean, I've, I've probably consulted with hundreds of different businesses through the years, yet I can go into maybe a manufacturing plant and the business owner will say, yeah, after a short conversation, yeah, you understand my problems, but you don't know my business. Well, I don't have to know their business. All I have to know is how they're confronting their own problems. Right, because it's up to them to, to know their business. Right, right. So you're really working on the nut behind the wheel. Absolutely. I mean, 99.9% .9 of success in business, I think, in some way, shape, or form, can be pared down to communication and accurate communication with, with either your clients, your staff, your procedures, your accountant, yourself, um, other people that you're working with. And... There's so many things that I see all the time where communication breaks down and we're not able to 
maybe we don't have the right words to explain to a, a patient, you know, exactly why they need to be coming back for, you know, once a week for the next 10 weeks. Maybe we don't have the right words in a business setting to explain to other people how our business is unique and why they should come to us, okay? Maybe we don't have the right words just to explain our passion about it. It really is all communication. And the other thing I'm going to say that your acupuncture people are going to absolutely hate, it all comes down to sales. Every single business person out there is a salesperson. I'm sorry to say that, but you are. I think it's time for us to stop apologizing about being salespeople. Because, I mean, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm thinking about anyone who's out dating someone else. You're doing sales. You're selling yourself. You're, hope, you're hoping you're going to get a dinner with this person again next week or whatever. I get it that sales has gotten a bad rap. At the same time, it occurs to me, and this is just part of my own work that I've done over the past few years. It seems to me that we look at really horrible sales experiences, right? The used car salesman, the person who's calling you at dinner to sell you something you don't want, the person who has their concerns above yours, they're trying to manipulate you into something for their benefit. We've all had that experience. No one likes it. Here's the thing. When someone is selling you on something that you want, they're telling you the story of what you know you're already looking for, you don't even experience it as sales. You just go, wow, this person gets me. I'm so glad I know them. It's, a, it's a, such a transparent experience. You're exactly right, and that is what sales is, okay? Now, put it in this paradigm and compare it to your practice. If you are fulfilling a need for a client, giving them the solution that they need to solve a problem, that's sales. I say, let's sell more. Yes, exactly. It's good for my bottom line. It's good for their well-being. That's why we're here, to help each other. Right. Then the only problem is, is how to figure out how to communicate that, communicate your solution to their problem, communicate that you understand their problem, communicate your solution to their problem, and communicate your plan and how they can afford it. If you can do those things, you'll get the sale every time. Because they're looking for what we have to offer. But again, to do that, you have to understand also what it is you're offering. So, and that ties directly into your vision. Could we go a little deeper into vision and, and give people some, some ways of thinking about or some pointers or resources to help with some clarification? Sure. I, I love doing this for young business owners. I do a, a goal setting session all the time. That is, it really helps to clear things up. So, and I, I'm going to assume I, I do some portion of that on, on some, uh, some energy dynamics and stuff, and I'm going to assume that all the acupuncturists know all that. What, what, well, point. when you say energy dynamics, you're referring to what? Not in Chinese medical terms, but in, in business terms. There's four different energy states that you're going to experience all the time. Okay. Um, and I'm sorry, I, I can't attribute this because I have no idea where I got this from. But the first energy state is going to be high positive. Okay. I tell my people 
that is when you are on stage, when you are performing, when you are dumping a lot of energy into the equation, okay, whatever that is. And that's when, those are the times when, and you can see it in athletics too, those are the times when Michael Jordan's on a roll when he's got the flu and, and you know he's just not going to miss a shot. Peak performance. Okay? Peak performance time, okay. That, however, always comes at a cost. You have to renew that energy somehow, some way, okay. So I'll get back to that in a second. If you don't renew it, the, your next response is to go to high negative, anger, rage, um, throwing things, wanting to quit, <laughs> doing all that kind of stuff, okay? And that always comes at a cost too. If you don't renew your energy successfully at that point, you go into low negative, which is bored, boredom, burnout, depression, um, those types of feelings, okay? And if you do that too often, you're going to traumatize yourself and you're going to be dealing with a chronic condition, okay? And how often do we do that? We do that so many times, you know, and it goes in, it goes even deeper. It goes into the self, self-medications, the addictions, the things that, you know, whatever. All the negative talk we have with ourselves. Yes. So then the last area is your renewal area and that's low positive okay i'm going to say um, for a lot of people that might be taking a nap on a sunny afternoon <laughs> with the sun shining down on you it might be having a quiet dinner with your family or a special friend or or something that gives you the courage gives you the strength back gives you the renewal okay Whatever that is, you have to be so aware of the thought processes that put you in each of those states. That's a, a self-awareness part. And that's what I spend time on in going through my, my little energy spiel when we're doing goal setting. So the going back to the high positive really quick, if you are an introvert by nature, okay, but you are, and I am. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I'm I, one as well. I know the energy cost, how much it costs me to sit in front of a new client and be on stage, okay? I know how much it costs me. I may change it this year, but I have not been to a New Year's Eve party in probably 30 years because it's a huge energy drain for me, okay? I got it. Uh, I'm with so, you, brother. Yeah. Introverts unite. Go home and read a book. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. So anyway... If you're an introvert and you are spending more than 16 hours a week, uh, these are studies that I read back in the 80s, but I've always stuck by them. If you're spending more than 16 to 20 hours a week being in that high positive, that energy dump, uh, throw out state, you are going to end up broken down somewhere somehow unless you can feed that energy. Okay. Uh, I, my suspicion is anyone listening to this who's an introvert like us, just heard what you said, and, and like they're nodding their head. It's like, oh yeah, no wonder I feel the way I feel right now. Exactly, and it's just gonna get worse. You're gonna, you're gonna be courageous, you're gonna be genuine, you're gonna try to go the extra mile, and you're gonna end up failing over a long period of time. So we have to okay. be attentive to her. And I mean, we're talking to acupuncturists here. I mean, we should have kind of a sense of that even if we don't practice it. Right. You, you have to. So as an acupuncturist, you have to determine 
let me go to extrovert. If you're an extrovert, you can go up to maybe 24, perhaps 28 if you're a real high extrovert at that rate, okay? Because that being an extrovert, you get your energy renewal from that state, okay? However, what you have to do as an acupuncturist then is you have to decide when you need to spend that energy. You have to be strategic about that. And I'm just guessing here. Is a patient that you've had for 10 years and you know them very well and they're just like an old friend coming in and you do what you need to do? No. Is it a new patient? Could be. Is it a challenging patient? Could be. Is it dealing with the insurance company? Could be. You know, you have to decide how much time you're, you're going to spend on that and then schedule it in. Then you can start to work from there to all the other energy states. It sounds like a certain amount of mindfulness, attentiveness, and, and really being true with ourselves about the reality of how much time we have in a day and how much energy our systems can handle in each of these different states. Right. And, and also being very, very attentive to how you get to the renewal state without going through the negative states. And, and that's always a thought process, that's self-talk, that's um, certain physical actions maybe that you need. And then how you can, you have to have a routine to get to the high energy state too. And the more successful you are at developing your routine, the more successful you'll be full time. I even, I even tell my acupuncturist, you know, sometimes I just need a hug <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's renewal enough for me, you know, uh, but that's, that's what you need to do. So to go on to the, to actually setting a vision, then once you understand your energy states, you have to ask yourself some meaningful questions. Okay. And some of the questions I've come up with through the years are, and again, this is a whole long process that I do with my people. It takes several hours, but they always come out of it with a very, very well-defined vision and mission for them. And that builds their entire business out step by step. So the first thing that I will ask is, what if you're looking back, if you're 30 years into the future and you're looking back at your practice, what do you want your patients to say about you? Oh, my. And then let's take it another another step. What do you want your colleagues to say about you? What do you want your family to say about you? Let's go a little deeper from there. All right. Let's assume that you can, that you can truly define all that. And you know, as a young acupuncturist, you know that what they want people to say about them is going to change, right? So, you know, I think when you're first starting out, you may not have any clue about that. I think it's, I think it's more in mid practice that those questions start to become more relevant. Right. I bet because we're, we're human beings, everyone thinks the same way uh, on some level. So I bet you when you're in school, you're at some level worried a little bit or thinking a little bit about how everyone else around you is thinking about you. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Yes. I mean, we're social animals. So that's where we start. Got it. Okay. And that's just because we're human beings. You're right. That's the way we're wired. We're members of a tribe. Of course, we have to be attentive to those around us or 
we don't have a life. You know, we have this real idea in America about, oh, I'm this rugged individual. I don't need anybody else. That's not the way it works. No, another saying that that I get, and actually it's it's from uh, some lessons, some leadership lessons that I've taken through the years is you can't work on yourself by yourself. Right. You do it yourself, but you don't do it by yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we started there on setting a vision, then let's make some assumptions. Well, this is really interesting. So you're saying we can take this social context that we all live in, we're like fish and water in it, and we can use that to help us clarify. Mm -hmm. It might help to think of it in, in, in a little bit other way too, getting a little bit more into the esoteric side of it. At least in, in Greek history, they identify four different types of love okay, that we all crave. There's the erotic love, the love of the family, the love of the friends, okay? I don't remember the Greek words for all of that. And then there's unconditional love. Unconditional love is, and my acupuncturist and I have discussions about this all the time, unconditional love is nothing more than chi. You know, if you as an acupuncturist are thinking about fixing a blockage for chi flow in, in someone's body, you know what, you've got the same blockages. And those blockages more often than not are emotional rather than physical, and they just present as physical. So those are the things that we have to understand when we're, when we're setting our vision, okay? That we are right in it with everybody else, okay? And it's the toughest, this is the reason I can, I can ultimately, I think, a lot of times be successful as a, as a consultant is because it's really, really tough to diagnose yourself and then work on that yourself. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. I was just thinking to myself in the past when I thought about doing some kind of vision, it always seemed that I was thinking more about, oh, this is an intellectual process. If I can get this piece down, it's very rational, it's very logical, it's very intellectual, got my vision, we're good to go, I'm going to have what I need. But what I'm hearing from you in this moment is there's this deep 
emotional, inward sensing that we need to bring to this endeavor. And that's actually where you start. You, you have to. You are not working in your practice or working on your practice or having your business run you or you running your business. You're not doing that from 50,000 feet away. You are living it. You are living it every single day. And part of my transformation process through, through my work with uh, my acupuncturist is that, you know, I, I've realized that I've been stuffing all my traumas for years and years and years. Okay. Some of those traumas are business related. It's scary. It's hard. Sometimes it just blows me away at how hard it is when I'm laying on that table and she's sticking needles in my heart chakra and all of a sudden I feel like crying, you know, but you have to do that in setting up your business. Otherwise you're not going to be in touch with it. So we need to bring ourselves heart, body, and mind really into it. I mean, I know it's easy to say, and it, you know, it's kind of fun to say, oh, it's a holistic medicine it involves the whole person, blah, blah, blah. But man, when the rubber hits the road and I just heard you say something, I mean, you've been doing what you do for a while. You've been very successful at it. You've helped a lot of people. And what I'm hearing you say is recently, given all the successes that you've had over the years, you're recognizing that there's things that have been in the way. And as they open up, it, it's changing everything. Yes. It's giving me a lot of awareness that you can be successful at a certain level by just turning the machine. But is that really living it? Is that really living your life? This is kind of back to the beginning of the conversation in a way where uh, there used to be a time where you did turn a machine. Your job in life was to turn a machine. That's how you put bread on the table. You supported your family and the company later supported you with a pension. We did turn a machine. But that's not how it works these days. And that's certainly not how it works in any kind of work where you're bringing your heart and soul into it. We're not turning a machine. Right. I'm going to say that brings us back to chi energy, okay? And, and the translation in the Greek culture of unconditional love is because every single one of those other loves that you have, that you deal with, you can turn a machine at those. They're transactional. They're you give me this and I'll give you that. Chi energy is not. Your vision should not be transactional. I mean, it can, it can be, I want to make a million dollars. That's fine. But it's not the million dollars that's, that defines that transaction. It's how it makes you feel that defines it as a vision for you. Now, most of us have learned to deal transactionally. I do this to get that. If we're not working transactionally, how are we working and how do we know that food will land on the table? Well, let's go and define that vision a little bit more because then I'll be able to answer that question. In the questions that I ask in, in helping define a vision, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I ask three questions and we go through this, we do an awareness exercise, we go through this whole entire thing. So, Let's first say the first question is going to be, once you determine how you want everyone to think about you or what you want them to say about you, then you say, okay, so in the next 10 years, 
if you could do anything you wanted with no limitations, what would that be? We can go through that, but then we go even further, okay? Put a little bit more pressure on. If in the next three years you could do anything you wanted, what would that be? And finally, put the ultimate pressure on you. If you had no concerns about money, no concerns about having food on the table, none of that, and no concerns about being able to do anything with the exception of you knew you only had six months to live, for sure, what would you do? That takes the transaction out of it, okay? Because you can get in touch with your passion, you can determine what you do, and all it is is then you take that list and you determine where you're gonna spend the time, and then at the end step, you say, okay, how am I gonna pay for this? And guess what? Your energy flow comes right back into that. It's you, you have a very, very clear vision then of what you want to accomplish, and you're back at the question of how am I going to do it? You know your priorities. Right, right. And, and yes, right, so, so we're back to this thing. When you know the what, the hows will show themselves. When you know the why and the what, the, why the how the comes. What. The, how and the, the how comes naturally. The how. And yes. So I know for myself that learning is both a great joy and a deep terror, right? Because you've got to confront so much of, of what you don't know, figure out what, what to get rid of, what to take on, and, and then you got to learn how to do it well. I mean, there's, there's all this, but the, the other thing about the, the not knowing piece about running into the hows, when you have this grounding is, at least in my experience, things that used to look like very big obstacles show a different side to me. Where there was a wall, there might be a window. Right where there was an obstruction, oh, there might be a way through. Or it's the other side of the coin, okay? Just to give you a quick example, one of the little tricks that I used to use with the people, um, my financial planners that I hired and trained, is just like any other profession, with air quotes, just like any other profession, there's a lot of learning, a lot of licensing, a lot of continuing education, a lot of things that techniques, laws, whatever that you have to keep up with. And I would set them up to um, catch up on all their learning every Friday afternoon from noon to four. And the reason I would do that is because if they set their goals correctly, if they set everything up correctly through the week, they knew that their goal for the weekend was to go out and spend time with family or do things that they really, really wanted to do and stuff. And they wanted to get out of there. So they were able to get out early. So, so you know what would happen is somehow, some way they'd figure out during the week how to get that Friday afternoon stuff done. And they'd be walking out at noon every Friday. That's just a difference in motivation. You know, rather than saying to the family, I can't spend time with you this Saturday morning because I got to catch up on all this reading. You know, it, it's just a different way of looking at it. We become a lot more efficient, probably waste a whole lot less time. 
exactly that. You'll find yourself accomplishing two and three and four times more than you would have otherwise if you have some clarity. And you're spending less time in that high or low negative. Yes, that's the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. That's what kills you. I mean, that's our demons, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny, I was going to ask you about, well, what advice would you have for people who are in mid-career in terms of, you know, they've got to practice up, the flywheel's turning. It sounds like it's the same process. I think you have to revisit your vision probably every other year or every three years at most. You have to sit down and have a, a really good soul-searching session with someone who can give you an outside perspective. Uh, not not just an outside perspective, a beneficial outside perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know? Thank you for that clarification. Yes. Yeah. So often at the beginning of the journey, I mean, we have a glimpse of where we want to go. And, you know, and it really does take that faith that we talked about earlier to set out. I have often said to myself, man, it's a good thing I didn't know what it would take when I started. I would have never begun had I known what would be required. So that, that faith is important. These course corrections, I don't know if course correction is the right word, but these, these iterative moments of stepping back, going deeper, revisiting what's important, seeing where we are at, seeing where we want to go sounds super important. That is very correct. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a way of continuing your growth and, and taking a measure of where you're at, where you're at now. And that's the other thing. So many, so many business owners I know don't even want to, they know they have problems, but they don't want to look at where they're at. Oh my God. I, you know, I totally get it. I spend time on this podcast. It brings in a little bit of income. I've, I've had to step back from some of my clinical practice. And so the pod, you know, it's had to bring enough income to cover that. Every now and then someone says, well, how are you doing with that? And I, it's like, I, I put my hand over my eyes. I don't even want to know. Because I'm afraid if I know, oh man, maybe maybe I don't maybe I can't do this or don't want to do it, or I might have to change something fundamental. It's really easy to stick our heads in the sand. Well, that could be. But my my question or my challenge to that too, or the um, the reason to actually take a look at it, would be that is it even if it's not making money, can you measure it in a way that is beneficial to you? Ah. Is, it, is it giving you some other energy? Is it giving you some other knowledge? Is it giving you uh, something that helps you improve your practice and gives you a better chance at making more money or whatever your vision is? So when I think of businesses, I think something super important about a business is how can I create it to be sustainable? That's, I mean, that, you know, if we're not looking at sustainability, then we're asking for failure. Not, I'll put one more word in there. Mm. Not only sustainable, but scalable. Aha, uh -huh, yes. Tell me about scalable. Okay, so for some reason, most business owners are never happy with, you know, just making enough to put food on the table. They always want to add something else. Well, you know, we want they, retirement, want to drive a nice car, send kids to exactly, college. Exactly. And at some point, 
because of that, your business is going to have to grow. At some point, it's going to, and it doesn't even have to grow with more practitioners. It could grow with more patients. It could grow with you charging more for your services. It could grow with you adding administrative staff and, you know, something about that. So scalability is knowing your business systems well enough that you can duplicate them with no loss in efficiency or, re or return. It's like getting muscle memory down in any kind of a physical exercise. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we wind this down for today? I think I would like to say that there are going to be times, um, even if you absolutely, totally love your practice, there are going to be times in your practice where you are pushing the ragged edge of what you can do, or whether it's energy related, whether it's time related, whatever. I think it's really important to recognize when those times are coming. And one of the ways that I've tried to tell my clients how to recognize that is when little things around you start going wrong, you break a glass, um, you forget to put gas in the car, things like that. That means your attention is not where it should be. You're not being mindful. And those are the times when you really need to start taking a look at whatever systems or however you set up your schedule or however your practice is designed. Because if, if those little things are going wrong, that's just a precursor that something big's going to go wrong unless you take care of it. Yeah, we get these uh, early warnings at the edges of our consciousness. Yeah, that makes sense. Are you taking new clients at this point? If people wanted to do some of the work that we've been talking about today, are you available? Well, I am available, Michael. I, w I would love to, if, if people want to contact me through you, um, I would love to do, you know, maybe a 10 session, 10 quick sessions, 10 hours, uh, goal setting session with them, vision and mission setting and maybe a little bit of mentoring or, or feedback about their practice and what's going on there. Um, love to be able to do that if, if they want to do it through you. Uh, that would be awesome. I'd give them a huge discount just because if they mention your name or something. Great. Um, uh, do you have a website that they can reach you at? Yes. It's the name of my business is Fidelis LLC, the Latin word for faith. Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's because my dad, who actually started the business, was a uh, a career Marine. And so I, I just took that out of their saying, Semper Fidelis. And uh, FidelisLLCGB.com, I think it is. I never go to my website. Yeah, I, I get it. Well, we'll put it on the show notes page so people can just uh, pop over from there. Wonderful. Dave, thank you so much for this time today. I uh, Holy smokes, I've I've got especially this piece about the four energy states. It's really conjuring some stuff up in me. Well, Michael, I do appreciate the time and the opportunity. I, I have to tell you, I really, truly admire what you do. Coming from a, a Western medicine background and seeing the differences that my acupuncturist has made in me and the the both terrifying and exciting journey that we're going to go on over the next few years. It gives me a great deal of, of pleasure to be able to maybe try to do something to help you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. Well, 
Over time, I've come to realize that it's not that we have to do business, but that we have the privilege and the opportunity to create something of value that sustains us in our lives, allows us to practice our medicine, manifest our visions into the world, and make a difference in a world that could use a little repair. While you could frame the bones and the structure of your practice as a burden, it's more helpful to see it as a canvas upon which you can paint your life, practice, and dreams. I hope that this conversation has sparked your inner artist in a way that has you engaging the practice of practice with a wider view and appreciation for the transformative potential that running a business can unlock in your life. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.